0: amen hey we're an intro to apologetics. apologetics that's right and we've been seeing for those of you uh hopefully have been seeing uh in your workbook uh everything has a beginning we're dealing with the existence uh, of god right we live in a scoffing skeptical society but they scoff at that but we saw everything has a beginning which implies a beginner i.e god that's the argument for his existence everything has a design which implies a designer capital d that's another argument for the existence of god but wait a second what about evolution or evolution whatever you want to call it uh does spawn evil because if you don't believe there's a god guess what they're going to act like it. If you tell kids from Wee High you came from an ape, guess what? They're going to act like apes, right? If you say there's no reason or value to life, guess what? They're going to act like it. Evolution. Okay, and we took a little, not only in the workbook, but a 42 week a detour dealing with that. Everything has morals. Where did this universal moral law come from? Well, how about a universal moral lawgiver, i.e., God? So, this innate ability for people to know inherently, even if they never saw the Bible, that there is a right and wrong, it's wrong to murder, where'd that come from? Because we were created in the image of a moral God. Uh, and that's an argument for his existence. Then it comes down to what about the Bible? And we dealt with that for several weeks there. How do we know that this book is, in fact, unlike any other book on the planet? Okay? It is not like all the other religious books, as our uh, society would say today. It is completely unique. It came from the hand of God. Then what we saw last time is, oh, yeah, but if there really is a God, and the Bible's really true, then what about all this evil and suffering? If God's so loving, why is there evil? How many of you guys heard that? How many guys had that thrown in your face? Okay, this is one of the big ones, and this is why I love to talk about this, because there's great answers. Now, by way of recap, on chapter 7 there, in chapter 7 there, as we can see on your page 62, for those of you who hooked on numbers, Holly, you like numbers? Okay, page 62, and uh, we already saw last time, if you were here, uh, that, well, that, that's not a question that you and I need to run from, right? Somebody asked that, oh, you know, just, oh, no, you asked me the incredible question, no, it's a common question. It's, frankly, it's a great question. Did anybody else wonder that besides me before you got saved? Yeah. Why is all this? If they're really, right? It's a great question. And that's what we saw even in the Bible. People in the Bible asked the question Habakkuk, David, Jonah, Jeremiah, Job talked about it, right? Okay. Now, the problem is we don't do the homework and find out what's the answer. Right, And we saw the answer was, number one, God isn't up there with his hands tied going, I wish I could do something about this. No, it says, number one, the reason why he is not intervening at this time to a complete uh, uh, extent is he's not willing that anybody should perish. He's not the author of this sin and evil, but he's given people the time this time to repent and get saved. Okay, But when it specifically comes about evil, we saw last time that God has done something about it okay we saw that first of all he is not the author of evil or suffering okay that's satan is okay number two god has judged it he put a limit on it he made a way out of it anybody glad about that okay and he has appointed a day when it is going to cease it's not going to happen forever and ever and ever now that's the christian response so when people ask us that question that's not just a response how many guys would say that's a good response it's, it's, of course, it's good because it's biblical, but it's like, but it's a really satisfying, philosophically, emotionally answer, right? Now, as we saw last time, flipping around, when somebody comes to you, Christian, and asks you, "What about evil, suffering? What about God?" You can answer that. And okay, that's great, but don't forget to keep the conversation going. Oh, by the way, what's your answer? As we saw, that's really where it's like amazing. Because we saw, okay, evil and suffering. If you look at the religions of Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, Christian science, Unitarians, and others, they say the evil doesn't even exist. It's not real. It's an illusion. So as the example was, excuse me, so you're going to tell a person who was raped, oh, I'm sorry, that was just an illusion. And I'm the one with the problem as a Christian? I can give you an answer, but what's your what? And that's really what they believe. Then we saw that that's a popular one amongst atheists. Well, if there is a God, that's the reason why I don't believe in God, because there's evil and suffering, blah, blah, blah. Actually, when we began to logically think that through, if you recall, we saw that it actually proves the existence of God. That question proves the existence of God. Why? Because they're saying that there is a good and an evil. Well, wait a second. How can you say that there's a good and evil unless there's some sort of basis for good? There's a moral law. Well, wait a second, if there's a moral law on the basis that you can base good and evil, then where did that come from unless, back to this argument, a universal moral lawgiver? So even the fact that you ask the question that makes a distinction between something good versus evil proves the existence of God. So it does the exact opposite of what they say, because isn't that how it usually comes across to you and I? Ah, <laughs> Christian, there's no God because there's evil. Mm, let's think that through. You just proved the existence of God. But, flip it around. Okay, all right, fine, Mr. Atheist, Mr. Evolutionist, whatever you want to call yourself. uh, What is your answer for the existence of evil and suffering? And as Dawkins, i got to quote it again. He says, the universe we observe, uh, Richard Dawkins, one of the leading evolutionists on the planet, Atheist, says, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect if there is, quote, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, uh, and no other good. Nothing but blind, pitiless, indifference, DNA, neither, neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to his music. So go back to this scenario when somebody, the, their family's murdered. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. We're just dancing to our DNA. That's all that's about for the answer of why that evil suffering... What, excuse me? I'm the one that's got a problem with this? I'm telling you, folks, this is like one of those questions when people come up to you, you mean to tell me that God's going to send somebody to hell? You know, what about the guy on the desert island who never heard the name of Jesus? They didn't have a copy of the Bible, such blah, blah. And usually what happens? <sighs> no, that's a great question. Because uh, you can flip it around, right? As we saw before in the book of Romans, chapter 1 and 2, Okay, God gives us the answer. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, oh, I didn't have enough evidence. First of all, the misnomer in that question is the innocent native, the innocent guy on in the mountain, the innocent guy, there is no one innocent. Romans chapter 3 says, we saw it on Sunday, there is no one righteous, no, not one. So you can stop right there. Everybody's sin, right? Nobody's innocent. But let's play the game. And he said, that's the light of creation. You're going to stand accountable to God. You should see the argument of design in everything that God has made. You can't sit there and say, I didn't have enough proof. You have no right to send me to hell. I didn't even know that God existed. I didn't have a copy of the Bible. Excuse me? Did you see the design? Design implies a designer. That's his argument, number one. Number two, Paul uses the argument of conscience, okay? Again, this moral law. Where did that come from? How did the Gentiles, he says, who never even have a copy of the Bible, the Old Testament, okay, how do they know inherently right from wrong? Where did that come from? Well, guess what? That's number two, why you're not going to stand before God, as J.B. Phillips says in his translation, without a rag of excuse, Okay, and say, I didn't have enough evidence. But then, this is where you flip it around. You say, well, excuse me, okay, forget about the guy on the desert island, the mountaintop, wherever they got lost in, some chicken farm or something, some horrible existence. It's always what it is, right? And, and it says, Forget that. I just told you about the claims of Christ. That's your third C there. You are accountable. So who cares about this hypothetical situation? I just answered that for you. What are you going to do with Jesus? You're accountable, right? And so that's a good thing. So when people ask you that question, just flip it around. And I'm telling it's the same thing when it comes to this. When there's God and evil? Really, you tell me then where does evil come from? What's your answer? It's an illusion, and you look at me—I'm the wacky one, with all due respect. You, you sit here and say, "Oh, that proves that God doesn't exist." Wait a second, let's break that down. You're implying there's a good versus evil, a moral law. Where that come? it actually proves the existence of God. Oh, and by the way, what's your answer? DNA? We're dancing to? We're a bag of protoplasm? That's your answer for evil and suffering? What? Flip it around, okay? Uh, or flip the script. This is the vernacular, right, Sarah? Why not give it for the serum? Sh- All right, let's continue on the understanding. Now, why did God create? This is where ultimately, this is where we left off last time there on page 65. Why did the God create a world where evil and suffering exist, right? So now we know he's not the author of it. We know he has done something incredible about it. And one day he's going to put an end to it. Amen? Made a way out of it through Jesus. This is awesome stuff. Sure beats the other ones. Okay, All right. But then he said, "Well, why did he do it? If God's God and He's omniscient and He knows the beginning from the end, then He knew that this would happen, right? Why? Again, that's a great question, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. There's two types of suffering. We're going to break it down in your workbook. The number one suffering caused by moral evil or sin. Moral evil or sin is your first blank there. Moral evil or sin, okay, that's just the sin nature that all of us are born with. We do not become sinners. We are born in sin, as David clearly said in the Old Testament. Surely I was born in sin when I was conceived with my mother. Okay, that's what happened. It's passed on from each person, okay? You don't learn to sin. You're born in sin, and sin, unfortunately, is as a result when you choose, we'll see tonight, Lord willing, when you choose not to love God. That's where sin comes from, okay? When you choose not to love God. Okay, number two, suffering also comes not only from what we do to each other because of the sin nature. As we saw before, what is sin? What's in the middle of sin? What's the letter? I, right? That's what it is. Me, myself, and I. I, it's what I want. I'm going to do this. It's the fall of Satan, Isaiah 14. I will ascend to heaven. I will be like God. I want to be him. I want my way, my will, my, my, my. The number one virtue celebrated in our society is encouraging sin. No wonder it's out of control. Instead of like we used to do in our school system, to think about God, to love God, to obey God with prayer, Bible, and Ten Commandments. How's that working out for you now that you ripped them out of the schools? Right? How's that working out for the church and people won't even preach the Bible? Right? And it's just a bunch of psycho babble stuff and stories made up which is fulfilling prophecy. But again, we've seen that many times. But sin, that's what's going on. We're born in sin. But there's a side result, an effect of sin. And that's what we see with number two. Suffering also happens. I didn't do it. It was, you know, you notice how they say this? Mother nature. You just can't say it, can you? You just can't say God. You can't say that maybe this was a judgment of God, can you? Oh, except you'll notice on the insurance forms, right? If a tornado whoops through your town, who do they blame it on? Acts of God. Yeah, that's the only time, right? Isn't that funny? Uh, Number two, suffering caused by natural causes is the other arena. So we could do it to ourselves, or it's just living in this cursed creation because of sin. Suffering caused by natural causes is your blank there, such as natural death, drought, famine, tornadoes, cancer, and act. Watch out for that act, Bill. It'll get you when you're least expecting it, but act, okay? And again, we'll see if we get that far in the text. It's because of sin went into creation too. So creation's messed up. Okay, believe it or not, there did there used to be a time when there was no tornadoes. Okay, things of that nature. Okay, now it ultimately brings us down to this question. Then, so that's where sin comes from. It's broken down in those two categories. Okay, that we see today. Okay, there that's why you have evil and suffering because we choose not to obey God. But then the question is, well, wait a second, why then did God allow this world to happen? Right? Why did He do it? Well, this is uh, four ways to look at this, and I believe the fourth one obviously is the correct one but let's logically break it down right number one god at the top of the page 66 god could have created no world at all no world is your blank there right right does god need you and i no i mean I actually well okay maybe he really doesn't need us but he he sort of needs us because he got lonely well first of all lonely would be a deficiency god's immutable right he doesn't have a deficiency um, plus, uh, Robbie Zacharias brought up the point. He says, Excuse me, but there's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, if you want to look at an interplay of relationship with the God doesn't need us. Okay? Which is mind blowing, isn't it not? I mean, think about it. When Adam and Eve, okay, sinned, what could God have done and been completely just? Bang! Nuked the planet and started all over. But he didn't. When you and I, the very first sin, okay, ever occurred, what could God have done and been totally just? Bang! Got us right there on the spot. Anybody glad that, that didn't happen? Anybody glad that didn't happen today? Let <laughs> alone <laughs> when you were three or whatever the first time it happened, okay? Yeah, okay, okay. So he doesn't need us, okay? The very fact that he doesn't need us, okay, and yet he puts up with this. And as we saw, number one, it's, if you're not saved, it's because he's given you time to repent. But judgment day is coming. It's not going to go on forever, okay? So he could have created no world at all, but he did. So that leads to the next question. Number two, God could have created a world where only goodness could be chosen. And once in a while, if you explore the conversation with people, trying to say that God doesn't exist because there's evil and suffering, and why would he allow this world? Then they say, well, if he was so loving, then why, why did he allow it? Why didn't he just make only good things and people? And, well, okay, let's break it down, right? If this type of world of suffering caused by moral evil or sin uh, in this type of world, moral evil or sin would not exist. If he created that you, it was only good and could only do good, then that couldn't exist. But, okay, that's the payoff, right? Because it's only good. But here's the problem. Along with that, there would be no free choice. Is your blank there? No free choice. So yeah, everything's good, but you got no choice, right? Because you can only do good. So let's break that down. One of the greatest gifts God has given us is the freedom to choose. If God did not create us with the freedom to choose, we would be like robots, right? We would be like robots. God could have created humans that had no choice to love him or not. But here's the point. Is this real love? Would this have made real love pop? No, right? It's impossible. I've used the analogy many times before. As parents, you know this, right? You have children, okay, last time I checked, you unfortunately, you don't pick them up at Walmart. You don't find them under the cabbage leaf. And I'm sorry, storks do not bring you in. Sorry for those of you who still thought that. To ruin your day. We'll talk about it later. Uh, But no, right? You come from mom and dad, right? So as their parent, you came as a child. You came from your mom and dad, right? So you would think with that, you kind of, you know, you should love them, right? You should obey them. You, You should appreciate them, right? You should reciprocate this love. But guess what? If you sat there and says, listen, I'm your father. I'm responsible for your existence. I provide for you. Right? You live in this house and you use that soap and you eat the fruity pebbles and all that other stuff and, and uh, all that stuff. You need to love me. There's a certain element of responsibility in that, and it's true. But when does it become a true loving relationship? When your child, even though they should, chooses of their own volition to say, you know what, I love you. And not just for those fruity pebbles. <laughs> That's a great line. No, it's what? that's how it happens when you reciprocate that love, right? So if God only would create a world of robots that could only choose good, then where does that choice ever come in? And is that really love? No. So you have to have the ability, unfortunately, to choose not good. If choosing good, volitionally, can create that loving uh, environment. For example, he says, if a man who programmed his computer to say, I love you every few minutes, would that be love, true love? right no it's just a machine it's just a robot it's just an automated response there's no sense of feeling there if you look at the you look at the movies out today there's actually a lot of movies that are encouraging that kind of stuff and that's a whole other artificial intelligence issue uh going on and and love is all warped and stuff but that's not real love right it's just an automated response right there's no heart in that and that's what he's saying so let's break it down god does not force us to love him he gives us a what a choice. Free choice, however, leaves the possibility if it truly is a free choice and not a forced choice, it means you can not only choose right, you can unfortunately choose wrong. And that's what Adam and Eve did. Right? That's, the, that's what they did. But if we choose to love God, guess what we will do? Jesus reiterates this. We obey God. Right? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? And, and name one commandment that's bad for us. Right? So we love him. We're thankful for what he's done. And say, yeah, anything else I could do? What, what would you like for me to do, right? And all, since all his commands are good, when we do his commands, we experience that good result, right? But, and here's the point, if everyone obeyed God because they loved God of their own free choice, then guess what never would happen? Evil. Let's go to step three. Then if people choose not to obey God, guess what's going to result? Evil. Did you realize that? Every single sin we commit, every time we say, I, this is what I want. This is what I think is what's right. This is what I, 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 the number one celebrated virtue in our society. Every sin at the heart of it, we are at the same time saying, no, no to God, right? Think about it. Isn't that wild? And yet our society pours gas on that. No wonder things are getting out of control, right? Right? But the hardest sin is saying no to God. But if you loved him, you would obey him. If you obey him, you experience that good. But people don't love God, so they don't obey God. When they don't obey God, it creates e- uh, evil. This is where it says their suffering caused by evil comes from. Okay, it comes from disobedient people, not from God. Right? God's not responsible for it. But he allows it because in order for this to have a true loving relationship, you've got to have that choice. Right? And this is why, you know, you, you hear me harping on it a lot. It's like, listen, I'm not against voting or, or being responsible, at least while we still have the, currently have the freedom. Uh, but if you're going to get active and do all that kind of stuff, would you please at least give the same amount of activity to sharing the gospel? Because did you realize that no amount of laws can change a man's heart? Right? Okay? I don't, you could sit here and put this in front of a non-Christian and make him read the Bible, but if they are not born again, they're not going to love Jesus. They're not going to obey him. Sorry, not going to work. Okay? So, But if they become born again and God writes their law on their heart and they love him and want to obey him, guess what? You just changed the heart. We just saw the video with Jeffrey Dahmer. Who would, uh, Society would write him off. But the power of the cross of Christ can transform anyone no matter what they've done. How, what? I'll challenge this one. Don't take this the wrong way because, again, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think we need to be active while we still have the freedoms when it comes to even political things, but what different shape would our world be in if the American church got just as active evangelistically with the gospel the last 20 years that they did politically? Thinking that what's going to turn our country around was a new president. And if we took that energy and we put it to sharing Christ and leading souls to him, who changes even the most wicked of hearts different story when you love god you obey god when you obey god evil doesn't result because his commands are only good that's the answer to the ills of our society let's continue on to the next page c.s lewis writes god created things which had free will that means creatures which can go either wrong or right some people think they can imagine a creature which was free but had no possibility of going wrong i cannot if a thing is free to do good it's also free to what to be bad, unfortunately. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then, then God give him free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, i.e. robots, of creatures that work like machines. You're just a computer. Okay, I love you. I love you. Okay, I'll do Right? Just like a computer. You program it. He says, quote, that would be hardly worth creating. Right? So number one, why did God allow all this to take place? Well, first of all, he didn't have to. uh, He could have not created a world of all. So, okay, he created, but why did he do it? Okay, why didn't he just make it only good? Because if you have it only good, then you really don't have the chances for a loving relationship. Make sense? Okay, but step two, let's kind of break it in half. That's why it started out. We busted this into two types of suffering, not just moral evil sin from ourselves, but also from the sin, the junk of a cursed creation right number three god could have created a world where there was no such thing as suffering and uh uh, due to natural causes right so maybe we would have to deal with this aspect of still having a free will and choosing uh to love god and to follow him and obey him so that good could uh, uh permeate uh but he could have put a stop to the tornadoes and the floods and all that other stuff right well again let's remind ourselves where that comes from according to the bible the original creation was very good right very good genesis 1 this implies there was no suffering due to natural causes in the beginning right that's why some people want to say that there was a whole world you know between genesis 1 1 and 1 2 that was created there and this is explains where all the dinosaurs and where all the people and a whole different some people say the whole different race of people and all the stuff and satan's rebellion and all this stuff and happened is a wait a second if that was true, first of all, that's death before Adam. Romans five says that death began with Adam, right, which is after uh, day six creation. Okay, but then if that was true, then why in the world is God saying that this is good, this is good, this is good, and, and this is very good? That's not good. A whole world being wiped out, massive. What? Okay, but God said it was very good. Okay, which means guess what? None of that stuff occurred before. Okay, no tornadoes, no floods, none of that stuff. Okay, this implies that there was no suffering due to natural causes in the beginning. Genesis 3 describes how Adam and Eve used their free will. Is your blank there? Free will to disobey God and introduce sin in the world. That's where it came from. I can't believe God would create a place like this. This is horrible. God didn't create this place like this. He created paradise. It's the messed up version because of sin. And this is what, you know, I was doing an interview this morning. We were talking about the, the millennial kingdom and stuff of that nature. It's like, man, we, we, we forget that Jesus didn't save us for this. This is the messed up version. This is not paradise. God saved us. Jesus is coming back to get us and where we're heading is going to be awesome. But if you never hear about that, then you have a tendency to act like this is the only place, right? And you start living for this world and the things of this world, Right? But this is the messed up version, right? And, and, and not just with sin and tornadoes and stuff. This is after the whole worldwide flood's gone through and messed it up. Which makes you wonder, wow, what, what was it like in the Garden of Eden? How awesome that was. And, you know, and it adds more to the sting of what Adam and Eve did and their choice to give it all up. Because even in this messed up version, we still find beauty. Oh, look at the mountains with the sunset. Well, this is a garbage can, man, compared to what it used to be like. Okay, but that's where it came from free will disobey God and introduce sin into the world Now we live in a fallen world where because of the sin Even the ground is cursed, right? As he told adam. Hey, guess what? You're gonna have to start working now. It ain't gonna come easy You're gonna have to work the ground. You got thorns and thistles. You have to work at it, right? And they're gonna get in your way, right? Uh, because of sin we are subject to suffering due to natural causes that would not have occurred had humans not rebelled is your next blank there rebelled against god So if somebody comes up to you, yeah, what kind of a plan is this? God's so wonderful. What kind of a piece of junk? Hey, God didn't junk this place up. We did. Adam and Eve sinned. Okay, so that's another answer to that. But Romans 8 gives us the answer. The Bible says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Right? Uh, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, who chose to put this into the world by their doing, Adam, right? It was Adam's choice to sin, right? But by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, oh man, as in the pains of childbirth right on up to the present time. So when's that liberation going to occur? The millennial kingdom. We've talked about that many times before. The millennial kingdom, it's not just that Jesus Christ rules and reigns from Jerusalem. Yay! Right? It's awesome, right? It's not just the Jews and Gentiles, which is everybody on the planet, because if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, for those of you wondering. How many guys are Gentile here tonight? Well, the rest of y'all should have. But anyway, that's right. Anyway, I don't think it's even Jewish to sin in here. But anyway, so yeah, okay, so that's the whole plan. The whole plan is going to be worshiping together. What a praise service that's going to be. But it talks about how the planet is going to get back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. It's going to be awesome. Romans 8 says there, it's subjected. It's subjected to sin. It's messed up. There's tornadoes and floods and all these kind of things, and volcanoes and blah, blah. blah. It's all right. Guess what? In the millennium, it all gets fixed right. Back to the Garden of Eden, and that's where we saw you got longevity of life for people comes back, but that's also where we saw we have peace with nature, with animals uh, lying together. Kids can stick their hands in a viper's hole, and they will be perfectly fine. Uh, lions and kids leading them. Yeah, all right. And we talked before, we can get our own pet line. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's talking about. Right now, it's, even creation knows something. It's been subjected to the sinfulness, and that's what's covering all these catastrophes that we see today. Sin. Right? It's not mother nature, it's sin. Right? It's a result of rebellion against God. Okay, but God's going to fix it. But then we also saw, okay, that nature again is going to cooperate with man. Okay? Not only are there not going to be any earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, and that's right, Bill Ect is out of there. Okay? During the millennial kingdom, right? Cuz it's been lifted that curse, okay? But what you're also going to see is nature will it says there in passages there in the prophets that nature's going to return. So that means like you can even I could grow a crop. I mean, not just grow a crop. I could actually do well with growing a crop. <laughs> Did you guys ever hear about my diet corn? You're looking at the only man, let alone pastor, who can grow diet corn. Did you know that? Okay, I'll tell you real quick. Uh, <laughs> I was growing. I always. I grew in the Midwest, right? We always had. Uh, we always had. Uh, uh, crops going on mom and dad are always plowing up something you know we always had a big giant garden too and so <clears throat> and so i was pastoring in Northern the california in the back i had lived in a parsonage brandy and i and it was you know she came by once a while no. but she, we lived with there and they had the backyard And says hey can i borrow a rototiller and just i want to do some do some planting right i just miss not being able to have any crops right and so anyway so i did some other stuff and i of course i had to, you have to do corn right growing up in kansas so i did some corn right and, of course, they, they laughed at me because apparently what I didn't realize is the place, the parsonage, you know, didn't always used to be the parsonage. You, where the backyard was used to be an old tool shed where they worked on cars and they dumped all the oil and stuff. Well, I'm trying to grow crops there. But anyway, so uh, anyway, uh, so I'm persistent. right? I'm a guy. Yeah. Persistent, ignorant. Which one would you call it? I don't know. But anyway, so uh, so I'm there and I grow corn. And man, that stuff it's taking off, right? Corn. Who can't grow corn, right? So I got, I got these big old plants right there, and I go out there and I'm so it's getting really close. To you and they're starting to tassel, right at the top. They're getting ready to to uh, germinate the the, the kernels stuff in there. And so I'm just like, man, I knew it. And they're like, ha you said I couldn't grow corn right? in this oil dump, and right. And so uh, I go out there and the first I had three rows of them, right about. Ten row, or ten feet long a piece, and uh, the first two stalks were totally black. I went out there. I'm going, whoa! What was that? Like some mold attacked it? I kid you not. I get up there, and it's ants, all covered in ants. I'm, what? And so I trace the trail somewhere from back in the back shed. Here's a big old trail. and There's and a ah! lot. So I go up to the guy who's a farmer, and who grew corn. He says, "What do I do?" He says, "You need to go up to the hardware store and you need to get this stuff called seven. Right? It's this dust stuff. And he says, put it in the little thing. You you dust it." all over his head, it'll kill it right away. So I got there, I get the whole thing, I put this whole big old giant thing in there. I got a little gung-ho, right? And it looked like a snowstorm. And so I, I went, he, he said, so how'd it go? I says, man, I covered it. He said, well, hey, hey, you can't put too much on it, you're gonna burn it. So I went back home. <laughs> so I went back home, and I go, man, what am I gonna do? right? Because I gotta leave it on to kill the ants, right? And so I go, oh, I got it. And so I took the, the little uh, hose with the little spray mister, and I did the little spray mister, I went, ever so lightly, just a light mist, let it trickle, all that stuff. Well, unbeknownst to me, guess what also was trickling off as I was washing that stuff off? All the pollen from the tassel. Well, I didn't know that until it came time to harvest, right? They grew up nice and big and plump, and I'm sitting there, I'm getting ready. I'm going to go out, get the first year of corn, right? So I pull that baby off, and I pull the husk back, and it was like it had one tooth I'm going, you got and then it dawned on me. Oh, that's right, right when it was pollinating, I washed it all off. Right? So I had to salvage the moment read. I kid you not, you can ask Brandy. I went into the went into the kitchen, I said, honey, you're looking at the only man who can grow diet corn. So that's my diet corn study. But But in the millennium, it's gonna be awesome. There's not gonna be curses. There ain't gonna be ants apparently attacking your corn. Even I could grow corn, right? It's gonna be awesome, okay? But right now it's subjected to frustration, okay? And he says this, so why doesn't God intervene then, right? intervene is your next question intervene every time there's possible suffering due to natural causes right so it's like well let me let me translate that for you how come he doesn't stop tornadoes why didn't he keep that flood from happening why does he keep it happening every time let's examine that because that's a good question would this be a desirable environment to live in probably not at first you're going what of course it would well listen this would be a roadrunner, wily coyote land. This type of world would only confuse us and frustrate us. Okay? Rationality and intelligence involve a high degree of dependability between observable causes and their effects. Now, how many guys remember that cartoon? Right? How many guys were fans of the bird? How many guys wished the bird would get become a meal? That's about 50-50 split. I hope that doesn't cause a church split. They happen in different ways, but anyway, how'd you guys split? Well, we talked about cartoons, and that was the end of it. Anyway, so all right. but anyway, so what happened to Wiley e. Coyote? Right, he'd set up all these acme uh, uh, traps, and of course, you know, apparently had an endless supply of cash, and he'd always order these instruments, or whatever. Or he would just get an anvil, right, and hook it over this you know rock and whatever, and he'd have it all set, and he'd have this little trigger mechanism ready to go. And here comes the bird, and he's hiding, right, and so uh, he goes, and it doesn't even trigger right? And then he goes over there and he's looking up to him. What happens? Boom, right? It gets him. So he sets up another trap, right? And he'll go underneath it and he'll test it out because he doesn't want to fall on him again. He's jumping on, doing all this, uh, whatever. And so he gets underneath it and sure enough, okay, it's not going to fall on. So he gets out of the way. It's supposed to work. Here comes the bird. What happens? Doesn't happen. So he goes over there in frustration or he forgets about it. He starts chasing the bird. But as soon as he goes under it, guess what? Right? And this is what he's talking about here. Right. If it works sometimes, it doesn't work. Is it going to do it this time? Is it not going to do it this time? That's what he's talking about. Excuse me. What kind of a reality would that be when it comes to natural causes? Follow the logic. He said consistent scientific laws enable us to understand, manage, and use our environment constructively. God has created our world with consistent natural laws, such as the law of gravity. So let's break it down. What if? What kind of a reality? Say, well, if God would just would always you know, uh, put a stop, wait a second, what if you went into a plane and you jumped out without a parachute, What's, what do we know, what can we depend upon without even taking a test, it's going to happen every single time you jump out of a plane without a parachute, what direction are you going to go in? 100% of the time, down, right? Okay, but what if it was a reality where maybe it's going to happen like a Wile e. Coyote, maybe it's not, right? And so you jumped out one time, maybe granted it was an accident, but for some reason this time arbitrarily, whoo, you flew it up and it was a very pleasant ride and you flew over and you were over Tom and Holly's house. Hi guys. And you finally made it over here to Bible study tonight. It was awesome. You'd give a praise report. You told everybody how wonderful it was. So we encourage other people that, Hey, apparently you jump out of an airplane, you float down because it happened that one time. Only well, Bill tries and what happens to Bill? <laughs> you know, right? Well, we're praying about, you know, he's in the hospital and, need to, you know, whatever. Uh, but, uh, excuse me? So, but, but, but then, so one minute it happens, one minute it doesn't. I mean, how could you build a reality on that? Right? And that's what he's saying, right? God has given us consistent natural laws, that you can depend upon. Because when you go out of an airplane, it's going to happen every single time. I don't care what you do. Without a parachute, right? It's going to happen. You can build, which means, guess what? You don't even think about ever once jumping out without a parachute, right? Unless you want to die, which is not a good thing, right? So that's actually for our good, that you can depend upon these natural things that happen every single time. But if it was willy-nilly, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Is it going to fall on me? Is it not? That's not a good reality. It sounds good, but you put it to the test and it's not. These natural laws help us to survive. In a world where there is no consistent laws of nature, we would never grow in our understanding of it. However, uh, we would never be able to use these laws for our good or pleasure. However, sometimes these natural laws can bring about suffering and pain. But, again, that's a side effect of being able to have these dependable uh, results uh, with that as well. And again, as we saw before, not all pain is bad. Did you know that? Right? Real quickly, uh, we've talked about this uh, several times before, but... um, Sometimes God does allow difficulties, okay? It could be from a natural event, okay? It could be, you know, uh, somebody else doing something. God's never the author of sin, but he's so powerful, he can still turn it around for good. And isn't that what he promises? For those who love him, do you love him? He'll work all things together for good. That includes even the suffering. Not all suffering is bad. Okay, let me just share with you. Uh, how many guys have ever prayed to God, oh God, you know, please get rid of the sin in my heart please make me more like Jesus and I want to be a holy disciple for you. Anybody? Please, somebody raise your hand. Make my day. Okay. (laughs) We should all raise our hand by the way. Okay. (laughs) Christian? Okay. Yeah. Well, guess how that happens. Do you and I see our sin? No. Sometimes it's in there. Sometimes other people can see our sin better than we can see it, right? Isn't that how it works? Okay. So what's God do? He allows some suffering, some difficulties to come our way and guess what happens? (laughs) This is nature pops out, doesn't he? Or she? Or it? Right? Right? And guess what? At that point, Oh, you have opportunity to acknowledge it, repent, move on. So God has it a way of just exposing some things through suffering because you find out what you're made of when you go through hard times, don't you? Right? So he allows that to come out. And is that for bad? Is that bad? No, because we didn't even know. We had to even deal with that, but he brought it out so we can deal with it to what? To be that holy disciple for him. Okay? Number two, uh, anybody ever get spiritually lazy as a Christian? The rest of your line... Okay, uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, no, yeah, right? So what's, is that good for us? No, so what does God do out of love? He allows some hard times, and guess what? Some of our greatest prayers are during what? Hard times, oh God, help me, right? Uh, or we get, you know, and we get serious about Jesus, right? Oh, right, and it's his loving way to, come on, don't do that. You think it's bad now? You ain't seen nothing yet. If I were to let you do would you, or hit the road you're going, it's going to get way worse, but i love you enough to orchestrate some things to get you stop being spiritually lazy and get back to seeking me, right? That's not bad. That's good. Uh, anybody ever say, God, would you please use me? Would you please use me to be a blessing to other people? Anybody ever say something like that? Praise God, all three of you servants, right, tonight. But uh, yeah, okay. But guess what? Uh, when we get to be a blessing to others, it's usually because they're going through Hard times. So how are you able to identify with their hard time unless you've yourself went through a hard time? And maybe even specifically the hard time that they are going through. Did you know that's what the Bible says? God comforts us in all our trials so that we in turn can comfort others with the comfort we receive from him in our trials. Right. So maybe that thing you're going through now, listen, I'll guarantee you, you keep seeking God, he'll not only take you through it, but guess what? Somewhere down the road, he's going to run you into a, a, another person who's going through the same thing that you went through, but now you can encourage them in Christ how to make it through. Anybody ever do that? Happens all the time, doesn't it? Is that bad? No, that's great stuff. So not all suffering or pain uh, is bad. How many guys have ever asked to uh, uh, be more like Jesus? I want to be more like Jesus. Oh, I just want to be like, right? Okay, praise God, at least most of the hands went up. Okay, well, guess what? We all know that when Jesus came here on earth, uh, and he's, we're supposed to follow Jesus, right? Be a follower of Jesus, follow me. Right, you want to be my disciple, follow me, right? Uh, he said, pick up your Cadillac and follow me. Uh, pick up your cushy lifestyle and follow me. No, no, put, uh, pick up all your, no, what do he say? Your cross, what's the cross? Instrument of suffering and death, right? Okay, again, uh, did Jesus, when he came here, was he driving around the Cadillac? And everybody loved him, right? Everywhere he went, it was just like following an ice cream truck and everybody just did, what do you want, Jesus? We're here for you. Are you kidding me? Did Jesus suffer is my point? You want to be like Jesus? Some of the most powerful lessons you will learn as a Christian, I'm convinced, are in the crucible of suffering. It's not bad. Our Lord went through that, okay? And God will he will mold us and shape us in that. Anybody ever say, I want to be more loving. I want to be loving like Christ. You know, I read 1 Corinthians 13. It says, without this love, God's kind of love, love is patient, love is kind, love is right. Oh, I just, I, you know, he says right there, I'm just a, a clanging cymbal, a, a, a resounding gong. It's, I'm a waste of time. If I have all this faith and I can move mountains. out, but if I don't love, I am nothing. I don't want to be a nothing Christian. I, I want to love like Jesus loved. Well, guess what? You know one of God's greatest ways to teach you to love like Christ? is to surround you by people who don't love Jesus Christ. Have you learned that one at your workplace, your neighbor, your family? Right? And guess what? It's like that movie Groundhog Day. You're going to learn it whether you want to or not. And you don't get to get out of this until you learn it. Right? Remember that? It's the same thing. Right? It's not just God's trying to ruin your day, but He's using that as an instance. Love like me. Love like me. Anybody glad that Jesus loved you when you were a stinker? Right? Okay. Hey, He wants us to love other people in His name too. Right? And so that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Uh, Real quick, uh, to build your faith. Right? How do you you build your faith? You read a verse and it's all over you. No, you stretch your faith. In order to stretch your faith, that means you're gonna go through a time when you need faith and typically a hard time when maybe you don't have the answers, you don't know how it's gonna work, right? But you trust God and that stretches your faith. And so that's a good thing. So your faith, you got stronger. Your faith got stronger because you went through, is that a bad thing? No. Hey, anybody ever say, God, would you please lead me where I need to go? Would you lead me where I need to go, God? Well, guess what he does? What he does is he, 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 this is awesome. He should have been there. He actually sent <clears throat> this satellite signal into my GPS on my car. It was awesome. And I knew it was from God because as soon as it hit my GPS, it made that angel noise. Ooh, it was awesome. I said, oh, that's from God. And all of a sudden, it took over my GPS and I knew exactly where. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, does it? Right? So oftentimes, uh, God, he will allow circumstances to come and sometimes they're hard circumstances because we're going down the wrong road. And we'll get uh, no. I think I'll go this way, right? Or then you start and you start going this. Oh, and then but he'll use circumstances, even challenges, to get you steered where you want to go. And then when you get there, of course, what do you what do you do? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, okay, that makes sense now, right? And so you got to trust God when He's steering you. That hey, listen, He he's, doesn't mean he, he knows what He's doing. I just need to stand on His word. He's working all things together for good. Yeah, this is painful, but you know what? He's steering me into something really cool. Right? Now, any one of those, was that a bad thing? Oh, and by the way, I'll just share this one, and we'll move on and close out the chapter, Lord willing. Um, if you're not a Christian, he'll use suffering to get you saved. How many guys came to Jesus Christ because you went through some hard times, and he used that to get your attention? Because wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we all responded to the gospel by God's kindness? It Unfortunately, usually doesn't work that way, does it? So out of love, because God sees what we won't admit, the penalty of death is hell. That apart from Christ, we're headed to hell. So he loves us enough that, you know, I've I got, I got to get their attention. And so he'll allow some hard times to get your attention. Is that bad? Anybody glad you're saved? I never, in my wildest dream, would wish that on anybody, my worst enemy, what I went through before I got saved with the demons and the darkness and the debauchery and all that, ugh, the emptiness, the vanity of life, yuck. But I'm glad it, it it went that way. Because if that's what it took to, if you will, crack my kneecaps to get me to bow and knee before Christ, thank you, Jesus. Right? It's the it's the old ad the shepherd, right? When a, when a sheep goes astray, they still do this today. When a sheep habitually goes astray and will not stay with the flock, keeps going astray, you know what the shepherd will do? Break its leg so it will never stray again. Is he being mean? No, he ha- does what even hurts him for the best of the sheep. And so if God has to allow some difficulties to either teach us to become more like him, become a more powerful Christian, and if you're not, to get you saved, is that horrible? Not all suffering is bad. That's another misnomer that's out there. But let's finish it up. Number four, the world as we know it, where good and evil exist, along with the possibility of choosing either. That's your fourth option. And frankly, that's what God has done. So again, what was the premise? Okay, if God's not the author of sin and, and, and all that stuff, and, and he's not responsible for it, he, but he's God, he knew this world would happen, that the fall of Adam and Eve would happen, which would result in all this sin. Why did he do it? Well, it's because this is the best possible world scenario, believe it or not. And again, flip it around. What's your answer, atheist, Hinduist, with all due respect? But this is the best possible scenario to have a loving relationship with God, which I still hope never gets old for you or for me. To have a personal relationship right now with the creator of the universe. If that doesn't blow your mind every day when you get up, you're backsliding. I'm sorry. It's the most profound, amazing truth. Okay? But he says this, if God's intention was to produce an environment where humans could exercise their love for God, that's your blank there, their love for God and love for each other, then guess what? This is your best world for that, right? This world is equipped for that. If God's intention was to produce an environment where humans could develop character and exercise their rational, ethical, intellectual, spiritual, and moral sensibilities, then this world is the best possibility for that this world suits that purpose in the final analysis of the four worlds describe ours is the only one where true love Is possible Right You have to have that choice. This world is the best way Is your blank there? This world is the best way to the best world The best way to the best world if god is uh, to both preserve freedom and defeat evil, then this type of world is the best way to do it. Freedom is preserved in that each person makes his or her own free choice, your final blank there, free choice to determine their destiny. Now think about that. Who sends who to hell? Who makes the choice? God puts before you heaven or hell. You deserve this, but I love you, and I want you to have this. And I did it all for you, for God so loved the world. He gave his son. But God still honors free will today, doesn't he? And if you choose to reject his mercy and his gift, you chose yourself to go to hell. Isn't that wild? You think that's hard? Well, if you're going to have a world where true love is possible, It's all part of the equation, okay? And that's what he says. Evil is overcome in that once those who reject God are separated from others, the decisions of all are honored and made permanent. And that's the issue. And again, I I hope that God will equip us uh, even tonight with these studies because that's what it's all about, to give a defense for the hope that lies within us, right? The gospel means good news. This is good news that we have the privilege to let other people know that, listen, I agree with you. There is evil and suffering, but there is an answer. Okay, and and most importantly, there's a way out of this mess. Okay, and that God is creating the best possible world to have a loving relationship with with Him, and He's done it all. And all you have to do is choose to say yes. How is that a bad message? No, but I think even this question, if we get equipped correctly, we can easily flip it around. And not only give a defense for this, but it's a great way to share the gospel. Because ultimately, uh, evil will continue uh, forever in the lake of fire. And you don't want that. Amen? So let's get out there and let's tell people about diet corn. No, tell them about the gospel. Right? That's much more important. But uh, let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. And I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall to give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So, let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The another Ten Commandment says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandment says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. uh, uh, Even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead. Okay, that's the same thing. uh, It's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of 10. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what do we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God, both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail sale, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven.